0: Good evening. good evening. It is good to see all of you out this evening. We're glad that you're here with us. Our lesson for tonight continues our series on Bible basics. And what you should know about God's Word. And we've looked at some different things so far. We have looked at uh, the style of the Scriptures. We've looked at the survival of the Scriptures. And we've looked at the archaeological accuracy of of the scriptures and so what we began a couple of weeks ago is looking at scientific information and i'm not a scientist and as far as what we're looking at in the bible uh we understand that the the bible is not a textbook necessarily on science either but there are some some really good things in it that that help us to understand that the bible is inerrant And accurate. And that's what we're talking about. So we're looking tonight at the scientific accuracy of the scriptures. And we've been through several things so far. Uh, Tonight we're going to pick up kind of in the middle of that and finish up uh, the lesson and then we'll move on from there. But as as we begin our lesson for tonight, we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 6. If you would like to be turning there and following along, uh, at least for this portion, Genesis chapter 6 is where we begin. In Genesis chapter 6, we we see that, that God comes to Noah. And He tells him that there is going to be a flood. That the world is going to be destroyed by this flood. And He tells Noah to build an ark. We begin reading in chapter. In Chapter 6 and verse 13 of Genesis. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. Its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above and set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. These are the specifications of the ark that Noah was to build. As we look at these specifications, these aren't just random numbers. These are not things that are thrown in there and and put together this is not something that man would necessarily come up with on its own on his own but as we look at the specifications of the ark and as we look into our history we see that that there was another ship that was built to very similar specifications as the ark a ship that that didn't sink very easily the SS Palo Alto. The SS Palo Alto. The SS Palo Alto was a concrete ship built as a tanker at the end of World War One. She was built by the San Francisco Shipbuilding Company at the U.S. Naval Shipyard in Oakland, California. She was launched on the 29th of May, 1919, too late to see service in the war. Now I'll tell you about this ship because uh, again it is very similar in its specifications to the Ark. The measurements of the SS Palo Alto were 420 feet in length. A 54-foot beam And a 35 foot depth. We look at the specifications of the ark. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. Its width 50 cubits. And its height 30 cubits. And this tells us again that these measurements weren't just random measurements. God knew how he needed this ark to be built. And he knew how to build it in such a way that it would withstand the storm that it was going to face, the floodwaters and and the rain and and, and all of that. The fact that God specified gopher wood is also evidence in and of itself that, that this is God's handiwork. The measurements given for both ships were measurements and they were made of materials that were made to last for about a hundred years or so at least. The ark is said to have lasted a hundred years between the, the beginning of the ark to the flood so uh, we see that, that same time period and the SS Palo Alto from 1919 to about 2016 was still floating uh, until it started to deteriorate and, and to, to this day it's still there. You can still find it. Uh, but it, it, it is in heavy disrepair. But about a hundred years. So as we look at the specifications of the ark and as we look at what the Bible says and, and again as we look at history we see that these specifications for not just the ark, but very similar specifications for another ship that did last for quite some time. Another piece of evidence that we find in scientific information in the Bible is the formation of static electricity. The formation of static electricity. In about 600 B.C., the ancient Greeks discovered that rubbing fur on amber, fossilized tree reason, caused an attraction between the two. And so what the Greeks discovered was actually static electricity. Additionally, researchers and archaeologists in the 1930s discovered pots with sheets of copper inside that they believe may have been ancient batteries meant to produce light at ancient Roman sites. Similar devices were found in archeological digs near Baghdad, meaning ancient Persians may have also used an early form of batteries. And that's just some of the early history in regard to what has been discovered uh, about static electricity. But it's not the first time that static electricity ever came about in 600 or so B.C. But we find mention of it in Scripture. It's formation. In Jeremiah chapter 10 and beginning with verse 13. Jeremiah 10 and verse 13. When he utters his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heaven. And he causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of his treasury. As far as our history is concerned, Benjamin Franklin is often credited with the discovery of electricity. In fact, he really just discovered electricity's connection to lightning. And that was in 1752. But we see that that its formation, the the way that static electricity comes about, was actually mentioned in Scripture. And it is uh, something interesting to us. As we look at nature, we look at other things as well, such as the process of rain, evaporation into air and condensation to the earth again. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, and here we read of of this process to some degree. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 beginning with verse 3. And verse 7 is the verse that we're really focusing on, uh, but we'll start at verse 3 for context. What prophet has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun. One generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes toward the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. Verse 7, All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Rain. Rain forms the rivers. It it helps to form the rivers. The, The water comes down and it settles in them. And yet it evaporates and it goes back into the air. And that process is described in Ecclesiastes 1, verse 7. Additionally, in Job 36, Job 36, beginning with verse 26. Behold, God is great, and we do not know him, nor can the number of his years be discovered. Listen to verse 27. For he draws up drops of water, which distill as rain from the mist, which the clouds drop down and pour abundantly on man. Indeed, can anyone understand the spreading of clouds, the thunder from his canopy? Look, he scatters his light upon it and covers the depths of the sea. For by these He judges the peoples. He gives food in abundance. He covers His hands with lightning and commands it to strike. His thunder declares it, the cattle also concerning the rising storm. What we understand from these passages is that God is in control of all. He is in control of of this process that we find in science to be rain and and evaporation and a continuous cycle of water to the earth and water from the earth. God is in control of all of these things. And for us to doubt His handiwork, we would be missing something, wouldn't we? Let's look at some other things. Let's move on from from things of the earth. And something else that we find in Scripture is quarantine and disinfecting procedures. These things did not originate with man, though uh, they are very very much so as far as time is concerned in their infancy. As far as our, our cleanliness is concerned, Uh, We usually wash hands before we do anything. Uh, I know working in the preschool, they want us to to wash our hands as we come into the classroom. They want us to wash our hands while we're in the classroom. And they want us to wash our hands when we leave the classroom, just to keep from from spreading germs. But these things are are not new. These things are, are not original with man. Fairly recently, we discovered the importance of of washing hands and, and how we are affected by germs and, and bacteria. This comes from globalhandwashing.org. But this is a, a short history on these procedures. Ignaz Weis, a Hungarian doctor working in Vienna General Hospital, is known as the father of hand hygiene. In 1846, he noticed that the women giving birth in the medical student doctor-run maternity ward in his hospital were much more likely to develop a fever and die compared to the women giving birth in the adjacent midwife-run maternity ward. He decided to investigate, seeking differences between the two wards. He noticed that doctors and medical students that the, uh, often doctors and medical students often visited the maternity ward directly after performing an autopsy. Based on this observation, he developed a theory that those performing autopsies got cadaverous particles on their hands, which they then carried from the autopsy room into the maternity ward. Midwives did not conduct surgery or autopsies, so they were not exposed to these particles. As a result, Semmelweis imposed a new rule mandating handwashing with chlorine for doctors. The rates of death in his maternity ward fell dramatically. This was the first proof that cleansing hands could prevent infection. But again, this is not something that is original with man, but we actually find it in the Bible too. And in particularly in Leviticus chapters 13 and 14. And we won't take the time to go through the entirety of those two chapters, uh, but they do speak of the cleansing following leprosy. And it is something that, that is in regard to hygiene and the importance of it. In Leviticus 14, we'll begin reading at verse 1. Leviticus 14 and verse 1. Verses 1 through 9. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the leprosy is healed in the leper, then the priest shall command to take for him who is to be cleansed two living and clean birds, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. As for the living bird, he shall take it, the cedar wood, and the scarlet, and the hyssop, and dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed from the leprosy, and shall pronounce him clean, and shall let the living bird loose in the open field. He who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, and wash himself in water that he may be clean. After that he shall come into the camp and shall stay outside his tent seven days. But on the seventh day he shall shave off or shave all the hair off his head and his beard and his eyebrows. All his hair he shall shave off. He shall wash his clothes and wash his body in water and he shall be clean. It was important in regard to this disease that that first of all they stay away from the general public so as not to infect others. It was a contagious thing. And so they would quarantine those who had leprosy, but in order for them to come back into uh, civilization, as it were, they had to cleanse themselves first. Uh, the, the priest would examine them to make sure that they were healed of this leprosy but they had to cleanse themselves in order not to take those germs and bacteria back into society and to infect others in the process. So we see that that was important and that was what God told them to do and, and maybe they didn't quite understand the importance of being clean. But they understood the importance of doing what God said. And so they were, were cleansed in the process as they were doing as God told them to. The three scientific kingdoms had their beginnings recorded in Scripture. The mineral kingdom, the vegetable kingdom, and the animal kingdom. Begin reading in Genesis chapter 1. And we'll, we'll go through these a little at a time. And, and, and show where these kingdoms are identified. Genesis 1 beginning with verse 1. Here we begin reading of the mineral kingdom. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Verse 6, Then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, So the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. Let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters He called seas. And God saw that it was good So here we we read the formation of the earth and and how God formed these minerals. And we see that these uh, help to produce vegetation. But that's the, the next kingdom that we find in science. In Genesis 1 beginning with verse 11. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass. The herb that yields seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, so the evening and the morning were the third day. Verse 14, then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. We understand that vegetation is is produced when a certain amount of sunlight Um, helps it to grow. It also needs water and things of that nature. But we read of all these things being created by God. This is not just a scientific discovery of something that just happened. This is something that we have discovered that God created. And the final kingdom of science is the animal kingdom. In Genesis 1, beginning with verse 20, Then God said, Let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures. And let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Verse 24, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind. Cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him, male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth. And every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green green herb for, fruit, for food, and it was so. Then God saw everything that He had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. The mineral kingdom, the vegetable kingdom, the animal kingdom. God created them all. And God is in control of all. And we understand that from a scriptural standpoint. There are also five facts of science that we find in Genesis chapter 1. And as we look at Genesis chapter 1, and in particularly verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and the darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In these two verses, we find the five facts of science. In the beginning, time. Time is an important fact of science, and we find it in the very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, time. Number two, God created the heaven. He created space. Another fact of science. God created the heaven and the earth. Matter is the third fact of science that is found. In Genesis 1 1. We also read of the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God is force. Force. And number five, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Motion. Motion. Time space, matter, force, and motion are all found in the first two verses of the Bible. There are many other facts of science that we don't have time to to go through and, and, and honestly I don't understand all of them myself. But some of the other things that that we might find uh, of interest, something that you may look into on your own, that light was created before the sun. And we've been reading of that in uh, Genesis chapter 1, particularly verses 3 through 5, and also 14 through 19, something that only God could do. The geography of the Bible, the the value of dust, movement of the planets in orbit, uh, something else that that we are only recently able to discover, and treasures of snow, and many others, but this is just a short list of things that that aren't in our lesson for tonight, but things that that also prove the inerrancy and accuracy of the scriptures. As I have have studied through these things myself and And I've told you before, I'm using lessons from others, but I had to do a little research on some of them myself too. And as I study these things, I'm convinced that the Bible is true. I'm convinced that the Bible is inerrant. And I'm convinced that the Bible is accurate in the things that it has told us. And even looking from a standpoint of our world and, and things that we have discovered in science and, and processes and things of that nature, things that, that we have studied in school, we have evidence of these things in the Bible long before man ever came across the importance of them. And I'm convinced that all of this can only be by the power of Almighty God. He picked a very fitting song before this lesson. This is my Father's world. And certainly this is my Father's world. He has created all things and all the beauty that we see on a daily basis is created by Him. And it's something for us to be able to experience all of these things. We're told of, of faith in Hebrews 11.1 1, that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And by faith we can see that these scientific discoveries we see that these are the hand of God. They are created by the hand of God. We are blessed with them by the hand of God. I'm convinced. I hope you are too. There's still a little bit more for us to to go through before we, we finish these particular lessons. If you're not a Christian, if you need to obey the gospel, then we'd be glad to help you in that need if you need to repent, confess, be baptized for the remission of your sins. We can help you in that. Maybe it is that you need to to return to faithfulness. Maybe you've wandered away from God and you need to come back and there's a a way that we can help you in that. We, We want to do that because we love you. and We want you to be right in the sight of God. Whatever your need may be tonight, we give you the opportunity to respond to the Lord's invitation as together we stand and as we sing.